It is the third Sunday night of the month, and that means it is time for our Q&A that we do once monthly. I always look forward to this Sunday night in particular um, because it's certainly uh, the week before is challenging because uh, there are things that I perhaps have not thought of, questions that perhaps I have never run into, and they are things that I'm studying that maybe I probably never would have ever studied uh, had they not been presented to me in this way. So I always enjoy the challenge. I always enjoy getting to uh, read these questions and try to answer them. And with that being said, I want you to know that our boxes are still open. I've only got a couple of more questions left. So there's a box on that back table. There's a box right here on the front row. If you have any questions biblically related, please do not be afraid uh, to write those questions down. You can put them in the box. They have all been anonymous, and I would I would assume that they will continue to stay that way. So I won't know who's answering the question or asking the question. I'll just simply do my best to answer that. And so hopefully that will be something that will be beneficial to us. I'm excited for our study. Two questions tonight. Here's questions number question number one. And I apologize actually to whoever um, asked this question first because you asked this question twice. It took me so long to get to it, you asked it twice. So I apologize for taking so long to finally get to this one. But here we are, and it's a very, very good question. What is the difference between the spirit and the soul? What's the difference between the spirit and the soul? It's a great question and one that I think that a lot of people have probably wondered about, certainly a question that has crossed my mind before, and I've always kind of pondered what the difference is, and even if there is a difference concerning this particular topic. And I'm going to begin this, this particular study this way, and I'm going to tell you this, that I don't know everything that there is to know about this specific topic. In fact, there's a lot of, every topic, I don't know everything there is to know. There's a lot of things that I just don't know, and there's a lot of things that you don't know concerning uh, some biblical topics, and I think that this is one of those subjects. The only one that I think that knows everything about our spirits and our souls is the creator of them, that being God himself. And I say all that because I guess that in my mind, that gives me some peace in being okay with not knowing everything that there is to know concerning matters such as our spirits and our souls. I'm reminded of passages like Deuteronomy chapter 29 and verse 29, where the Bible says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law. There are simply some things that God has not revealed to us, aren't there? There are some things that God in his infinite knowledge and infinite wisdom knows that you and I just simply don't know and that we're never going to know. And we have to be okay with that. We have to be okay with understanding that God knows far more than you and I could ever begin to comprehend and that we've got to be okay with that. We've got to take some peace and comfort in that and knowing that God is just simply that far superior to you and I today in this life. Um, and there are some things that he simply has not relayed to us. However, on the flip side of that, as Deuteronomy 29 tells us, there certainly are some things that have been revealed to us, haven't there? And those are the things to which we must tightly adhere. And those are the things which have been revealed to us through his word. So when it concerns the topic of both the soul and the spirit, we have to understand that these are very um, complex. These are very intricate topics and intricate ideas uh, that we're dealing with. And there's a lot of confusion, I guess we could say. There's a lot of debate over what these two things are. And there's a lot of differing opinions. If you were to research this and study this, there's a lot of different opinions, a lot of different positions that people take 
when it comes to this topic of our soul and our spirit and what they are. It's interesting when you talk about these two things because oftentimes, and I think that we do this too, we use them interchangeably, don't we? We use one for the other and the other for the other one, and we don't really think anything about it. And I think, unfortunately, there's a lot of confusion that stems from this. So I guess the question that we have to answer first is this. Can we use the term soul and spirit interchangeably? Are they the same thing? I don't think that they are, and I'll tell you why. Because of Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. The Hebrews writer is writing, and generally we reference this verse when we're talking about the power of the Word of God, and rightly so, but I think we skip over a quick, a small detail. The Hebrews writer says this in Hebrews 4 and verse 12. For the Word of God is living, powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing, notice this, even to the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrow, and as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. If these two things, the soul and the spirit, were the same thing, why would the Hebrews writer use a conjunction to connect the two words? Grammatically, it doesn't make any sense if they're the exact same thing. So I think we can see that there certainly is a difference between uh, our souls and our spirits. And so we have to then figure out what that difference is. When we talk about the soul and the spirit, there are really two schools of thought when it comes to this. There are two ways to look at this idea of our soul and our spirit. The first one is called this. It is called dichotomy. Dichotomy. What this is, is a belief where, in other words, you believe that man is made up simply of two components. That man is made up with the physical, the body, and then the spiritual. And by believing this, you are saying that you believe that the soul and the spirit are the same thing, thus giving you your two parts, the body and then the soul and the spirit, which make up the spiritual. But I'm going to prove to you, at least in my mind, why this makes sense, why I think that this idea of dichotomy is a false way of thinking. And that is because of this other way of thinking called trichotomy. Now, you could probably figure out what the difference is, the difference between two and the difference between three. This, uh, this idea of trichotomy is the belief that man is made up of actually three different parts, that being the body, the soul and the spirit proving that there are three different components. They're all three separate components. And this is where most people fall because that is showing that there is a difference between the soul and the spirit. And the way that we prove that is by reading the verse that was read to us just a moment ago. First Thessalonians chapter five and verse 23, where Jimmy read this, he said, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Notice this, and may our whole spirit soul and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. I think this to be the proper way of thinking, the biblical way of thinking, thus proving to you and I that there is a difference. There's a difference between the soul and the spirit. So with that being said, what is the difference? What's the difference? Well, when it comes to talking about our souls, we are talking about that which lives inside of you and I today. We each have our own soul, that which lives inside of us, but that which will never, ever die. Our souls are never going to die. It is what God has created, and it is what God put inside of each one of us and yet it is also that which will never, ever be destroyed. It's never going to die. It's never, ever going to go away. And it is that which is going to appear before God on the day of judgment. Second Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10, the apostle Paul said that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to that which he has done, whether good or bad. He's 
basically painting a picture of what the day of judgment is going to look like. But evidently, and obviously to us, our physical selves are not going to be standing there, are they? Our physical human uh, bodies, these temperate bodies that he, that God has given us, they're not going to be the ones that stand before God on the day of judgment. It's it's hard to comprehend, isn't it? It's hard to comprehend that our bodies are staying here, our souls are continuing to exist, and they're going to be the ones that stand before the God, before God on the day of judgment. It's hard to comprehend because we're talking about something that really, when we talk about the day of judgment, we're talking about something that is in a completely different realm. We're talking about something that it is a completely different place that we really can't understand. The, the writers in the New Testament use what we call superlative terms. And they're basically taking earthly ideas, earthly things to try to get us to understand what this other realm, heaven, is going to be like. But there is in no way how you and I can fully fathom or comprehend what it's going to be like because we've never been there. And it's in a completely different realm. We're going to be completely changed. Thus, it is very difficult for us to understand things like that. That's why I started off this whole thing by saying sometimes we have to be okay with not knowing everything that there is to know about certain and specific topics, things like perhaps our soul and our spirit. We understand the difference, or excuse me, we understand that, that they are two separate things, and trying to understand the difference can be somewhat difficult sometimes. So we understand the soul, that which God created, that which God put inside of us, but that which will never ever be destroyed. It's going to live on for an eternity, and it's going to be that which ends up on the day of judgment, and then ends up, being, ends up going to either heaven or to hell. Now, here's the difference between that and our spirit. When we talk about our spirit, we are simply referencing that which gives us life here today, our breath of life, that which allows us to breathe, to be, and to live, but also that which is one day going to die, which is one day not going to exist anymore. It's our ability to act, to move, to be who we are on this earth, but it's not going to last forever. So in my mind, that's how I see this. And through my study, that is the difference between the soul and the spirit. Now, if I've completely confused you, I'm sorry. Maybe we can try to hash this out afterwards, but I think that is how, that's how I see it. And that's biblically the way I'm able to find an answer to that question. So I hope that that one made sense. That was a little bit more of a tough question. So I appreciate that question whoever answered, whoever asked that one. This is question number two, the last question we're gonna look at. We're just gonna look at two today. And this is a very, very good question because this is a question that can stir up a lot of emotions. This is a question that can stir up a lot of different thoughts and ideas uh, based on how we deal with people and how we approach people um, concerning this topic. And I'm gonna get into some of that as we go on. Here's the question. Does the Lord cause someone to die? In other words, how much of a hand does God have in the death of someone here on this earth? And there was another question within this one that was handed to me, are we predestined to die? Do we basically have a set appointment on a day that we are going to die? I want to talk about a couple of things here as we look at this. And th again, this is a great question. When we talk about death, it brings about a lot of emotions because when we talk about death, we're talking about the loss of a loved one, aren't we? We're talking about the loss of a human life. We're talking about the fact that someone was physically here with us and that now they are no longer with us and we're no longer going to be with them again until we get to that other realm. It's a lot to think about. It's a lot to take in and it's a lot to try to understand. But within this idea, we gotta ask the question, how much is God involved in this process? Is it God's will for someone, young or old, to die? Is that God's will? Is that within God's plan 
for one of us, for whoever it might be, young or old, accident or natural, for them to die? Do we have a predetermined time and date of death and when we're going to exit this life? There's a lot of questions surrounding death, and I hope that hopefully we can have a little bit of a better understanding about this as we go forward. Here's a couple of things that I think are pertinent to understanding when it comes to the topic of death. I want to give you four things as we go on. Number one is this. Unless Jesus comes back first, we have to understand that death is guaranteed. Unless Jesus comes back first in our lifetime, death is certainly guaranteed to every single one of us. We know, back to Acts chapter 1, that when Jesus died, was resurrected, he lived on this earth, and then he ascended into heaven, he went back to the right hand of God. And we understand that to this day, that is where God is, sitting at the right hand of Almighty God. But we don't know when he's coming again. In fact, Jesus himself doesn't even know when he's coming back. We know that because of Mark chapter 13 and verse 32. The Bible says, but of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. So we know that he's coming again. We just simply don't know when it's going to happen. But we also get in Scripture somewhat of a picture of what it's going to look like when Jesus comes back. First Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning of verse 16, the apostle said, for the apostle Paul said this, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. So we kind of get a little bit of an understanding as to what this day is going to look like. But we also know this, that unless that happens in our lifetime, we are going to meet our appointment with our death. Romans chapter 5 and verse 12, therefore, just as through one man, sin entered the world and death through sin. And thus, notice this, death spread to all men because all have sinned. Hebrews 9 verse 27, and as it is appointed unto men once to die, and after this, the judgment. So we know, and this is a little bit of a morbid thought, I guess, if you think about it this way, but we understand death is coming to every single one of us. At one point or another, if Jesus doesn't come back, we are going to meet our death at some point or another. Here's the second thing, though. We don't know when it's going to happen, do we? We don't know when it's going to happen. And I guess this answers, I guess, for us the question on do we have a predestined time and place of where we're going to die and when we're going to die. Here's the thing. If we knew when we were going to die, why would that be a big deal? Why would that be an issue if you and I knew the exact day, time, and place where we were going to die? Well, see, it would be a problem because it would allow you and I to just simply live however we want, wouldn't it? We can live however we want, make whatever choices and decisions we want up until that day of when we're going to die, and then we could turn our lives around, repent, be baptized, and give our lives to God on the last day, and we could have lived our lives however we wanted and then still be saved in the end, but we understand that it doesn't work like that. So that leaves us with this thought. Because we don't know when we're going to die, how do we live our lives then now? Well, we have to live our lives with every moment like it's going to be our last, don't we? We must live every single day for Jesus Christ, every single moment for him, because we don't know when it is that we're going to die. We don't know when it is that we're going to be taken from this life. Romans 14 and verse 8, for if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. We understand everything that we do, we do for the cause and for the glory of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here's number three. When we die, we are going to a place called the Hadean realm. 
When we die, we're going to a place called the Hadean realm. Now, this is an interesting concept, and it's one that is oftentimes misunderstood. We read about this in Luke chapter 16, and, about, and that's all about when we die and how when we do die, we're not going straight to heaven or to hell. We are going to this place called the Hadean realm, or we're going to the place called the realm of the dead. That's where our souls are going. We talked about that just a minute ago. And so we see this play out here in Luke chapter 16. You remember the rich man dies and then Lazarus dies and the rich man goes to a place called what? Not hell, but a place called what? Called torments. Notice verse 24. It's described as a place that we don't want to go because what does he say? He says, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. Now we see a great contrast to what he's going through as opposed to what Lazarus is going through because Lazarus is in a place called Abraham's bosom and there he was taken by the angel. So the destination of where we go when we die, either it being in the Hadean realm or after that, is hinged upon how our lives are lived here on this earth. So we understand that when we die, we're not going straight to heaven or hell. There is, a, there is the realm of the dead, a waiting place that we're going to to until the Lord comes back and we are either going to be in a place called paradise or a place called, um, called torment. So those are the two options that we have and how we live our lives here is going to determine where we end up once that time comes. Here's number four, the last thing I want to think about before we move on. Once we do die, we're going to be judged. Once we do die, we're going to be judged. Hebrews 9 verse 27, we referenced it just a moment ago. We're going to stand before the great judge. We're going to stand before our judge and we're going to answer for everything that we said, everything that we did, and everything that we didn't say and everything that we didn't do. We're going to give an account of every single Thing. Can you imagine standing before God and just, and again, we don't know what it's going to be like, but we're using terms we know. Can you imagine him just rolling out a scroll all the way down as far as you can see? And that is literally an account of every single thing and word that you have ever done. It's kind of daunting, isn't it, to think about. It's kind of scary to think about that you're going to be judged about every single thing that you do. Thus, that should put a little bit of fear in our hearts as to how we live our lives. Are we living the right kind of life? Are we doing what God would have us to do? So all of that being said, let's talk a little bit about this idea of death. We have to understand this first and foremost. God does not cause death. In our lives today, we have to understand this concept. God does not cause death. You remember a couple of months ago, we, one of the questions that we had um, was surrounding natural disasters and why those kinds of things happen. Why did uh, why do tornadoes and hurricanes and all kinds of things like that, all the storms or whatever it is in life that happens and that kills many, many people every single year. Why do those kinds of things take place? You remember that we came to the conclusion that those things happened ultimately from what? They happen ultimately from sin. And everything that is bad, evil, and horrible in this life event or ultimately goes back to its origin, that being from sin. And it is because of our sin and the free will choices that you and I make in this life that is brought about those kinds of things. Well, the same is true about death. We have to understand that death is something that is here ultimately because of one thing that being sin. Ultimately, that's what it goes all the way back to. Everything bad 
horrible and evil ultimately stems from sin, and that includes things like death. And I suppose that we could go all the way back to the garden, Genesis chapter 3, and we could talk about how it was perfect, and the only reason that death came into the world was because of what? It was because of sin. They had the free will choice to do what they wanted to do, and they chose to disobey God, and thus sin was brought into the world. In fact, James chapter 1 and verse 15 tells us this. James says this, that when desire is conceived, this was read a moment ago, when, di- when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, what does it do? It brings forth death. So we have to understand this, that death is a product of sin and not a product of God. In fact, so much so, to where death is contrary to the will of God. We have to understand that death is contrary to the will of God. So let me ask you this. Can we say God caused someone's death? Can we say that God had a hand in someone dying? We think about things that happen, things like a miscarriage, things like natural disasters, Maybe somebody who is in their teens or their 20s or their 30s. Maybe somebody who we think has so much life left to live and they die. Or regardless of your age, whether you're middle-aged or older, when you die, can you and I say that God caused something like that to happen? The answer is no. You and I cannot say that it is God's will that somebody died. We cannot say that God had a hand in killing somebody here in this life because God doesn't cause things like that to happen. Because if he did, he would be interfering with free will and the choices of mankind. He would be altering the course of nature. Now, does he know when those things are going to happen? Sure he does. Does he know how they're going to happen? Sure. He knows when all of those things are going to take place. He has all wisdom, but he doesn't interfere with them. He allows them to run its course. He allows them nature to run its course because of the free will that you and I have. He doesn't quote unquote call somebody home. And in fact, one of the worst things that you could say, one of the worst things that you could say to somebody who is grieving the loss of a loved one is to say that, oh, it was God's will that he or she died. That is one of the worst things that somebody could utter to somebody else who is grieving the loss of a loved one. It's not the will of Almighty God. It's not the will of Almighty God that that, that, that individual died. That's one of the most insensitive things that you and I could say that we could utter to somebody else. In fact, according to the Amen Clinics, and I'm gonna do something a little bit strange. I forgot this list in my pocket, so I'm gonna go to my jacket and get it real quick. But I'll keep talking when we do this. Um, the AmenClinic.com, there was a list of 19 things that they said that you should not say to someone who's grieving. I wanna read those to you. Here's, here's some of those things that they said. They said, don't say these things. They, how are you doing? You'll be okay after a while. I understand how you feel. You shouldn't feel that way. Just stop crying. Well, at least he's in a better place. His suffering's over now. At least she lived a long life. You know, many people die young these days. Or she brought this on herself. Aren't you over him? He's been dead for a while now. There's a reason for everything. God's in charge. Oh, well, she was such a good person. God just wanted him or her to be with him. Just give it time. Time's eventually going to heal it. You're young. You can still have other children later. You'll do better next time. It was just, excuse me, the next one was stay busy and just don't think about it. 
You have to be strong for your spouse, for your children, or for your mother. In other words, basically diminishing their time to heal. And the last one was, they said, just simply move on. Now, I'm sure that some of these things, if not all of them, whenever someone has said them, I guarantee you that they were simply just said out of ignorance. Somebody didn't know what to say, so they went up to somebody and they just uttered the first thing that came to their mouth, came to their, their brain. And it simply wasn't what they should have said. Many people feel when you go up to someone who's grieving, they, they, they feel that they just have to say something. And oftentimes when that's the case, that something that they say ends up being probably the worst thing that you could ever say. Let me encourage you with a little bit of practical advice as we close out our lesson uh, this evening. Some of the most comforting things that you could do when it comes to helping someone grieve, when it comes to helping them get through the grieving process is to simply just be there. You don't always have to talk. You don't always have to say anything. In fact, oftentimes words aren't going to help. Listen, be present. Those are some of the best things that you could do because oftentimes your presence is simply enough, especially, especially don't say to someone, well, it was just simply God's will that they were to die. God just wanted to call them home. Please don't ever say that to somebody. And I know this is getting a little bit off topic, but I think this is practical advice to talk about because oftentimes I think we try to do the right thing. Oftentimes we try to do what's right. We try to do the right thing and that's trying to be encouraging, but oftentimes we can end up saying the wrong thing. Amenclinic.com gave a list of some things that you should say um, when it came to, to the helping someone through the grieving process. This was a couple of things that they said. I'm so sorry for your loss. I wish I had the right words. Please know that I care about you and that I'm here for you. Just be present. Be empathetic. Continue to connect even as time has gone on. And here's the last one and definitely the most important one. You and your loved ones are in my prayers. I say all of those things to say this. There is nothing that really can be said that will take the pain away of someone who is grieving the loss of a loved one. There is nothing that can be said. And yet, you and I understand that as individuals who are Christians, we can take comfort, we can take hope in the loss of someone who was a Christian because we know that one day we're going to be with them. One day, when this life is over, whether Jesus has come back or we have died, we're going to be with them again someday. Certainly, these are things that can help. Certainly, there are some things that will not help um, and actually make things worse. And I hope that we take much thought into the things that we say to those around us. I hope that these, these two questions have been beneficial to you tonight. I hope that they have helped you perhaps in some of your understanding. I hope I haven't just completely confused you tonight. I know these were some uh, interesting questions, more complex questions, and some things that I think certainly uh, are beneficial to us in our knowledge as Christians. Maybe you're here tonight and perhaps you need to respond to the Lord's invitation. Know that you can do that tonight. We can baptize you into water. You can know that you uh, once have become once you've been baptized, that you are now in the family of God. You're a child of God, and that you are on your way to heaven. Your eternal destiny is with Him. Um, should you live your life faithful to Him, and maybe that's your choice tonight. Please do that if you can. Maybe you're here tonight, and perhaps you are a Christian, but maybe your life's not right. Maybe there's something in your life that you need to repent of, that you need to give your life back over to God. Know that you can do that. We'll pray for you. We'll do all that we can to help you and encourage you. If you have a need tonight, won't you come? Together we stand and as we sing.